So, week one, we talked about waking up in truth. Absolute truth is the Word of God. Speaking about truth, I forgot to tell you the story, some update about Alejandro and Juanita. So, so Alejandro and Juanita ran away together because they, they fell in love, right? Remember, they, they kind of like, they went behind their people's backs. Well, they ended up getting married, and that was a mess. That was a big old scandal, but they got married, and... Um, the very next morning, Alejandro woke up to discover truth, as we were speaking of truth. You see, he was shocked. He was appalled. He was disturbed deep in his soul. Ask me why. Thank you. Because what happened was, he woke up to discover that the woman lying next to him did not look like the woman that he married. He said, who is this woman in the bed with me? She didn't look like this last night. Well, what happened was she took off the makeup. Well, she took off one, two, three, four, five, six layers of makeup. She took off that stuff that makes your lips a little thicker. You know what I'm talking about. That makes your lips look like this when they're not. She removed the eyelashes that were nice and, and full. Her hair seems shorter than it was the night before. And then he saw it on the bedstand, which almost gave him a heart attack because he thought it was some kind of like animal or something. He was so upset and disturbed because he had figured out the truth. And the truth was that she did not look like what she advertised herself to be. Now, you know what makes this story even funnier? This is a true story that happened to an Algerian couple. Um, It said said sometime around like 2014, in August of 2014. And what happened was this Algerian man married this woman. She woke up, then he woke up the next day and she was completely different. So he sued her. He took her to court and sued her for, he's, for, he, for, he wanted compensation for psychological suffering. <laughs> Truth. Week two, we talk about waking up our faith. We talked about waking up our faith. One thing is to have faith, right? Oh, I know who God is. I, heard, I, I learned about him. They taught me about him. One thing is to, to, to have faith or to know about faith, but there's another thing to live in faith. And we talked about what it looks like to live out that faith. Week three, we talked about waking up your commitment. Are your lives truly committed to Christ? We talked about commitment versus contribution. Be honest with yourself. Are you contributing to Christ or thinking that you are? Or are you truly committed? We talked about how uh, a hen contributes to the morning breakfast by providing you an egg. The poor pig is committed so that he can give you some bacon, right? Are you committed or are you contributing? Wake up, church. Wake up. We talked about wokeness week one, right? We talked about um, how many in our country today are claiming to be woke, but they're being woke according to what society is telling them what woke is. You know what true wokeness is? Is reading the word of God and understanding it. That's being woke. That's being woke. But as we have seen, right, over these last couple of weeks, it's not just like people that need to be woke. The church needs to to be woke in here because many of us are asleep. We're wrapping this up this Sunday, but if you did not catch I mentioned it last week, and I mentioned it the first week. Um, One of the reasons why we even discussed this topic was because God, uh, he put a stirring in my heart, but then he confirmed it with Sister Carmen's vision. Listen, when God begins to give the elders of our church visions, you listen. You listen. She told me, Pastor God showed me, I I saw God led me to the church and he told me to open the doors and he told me to look inside and to tell him what I see and I saw the people asleep. Church, this is real. 
It's not just here in Lighthouse. It's, it's in the body of Christ. The body of Christ needs to wake up. It needs to wake up. Evil is all around and sin is running rampant. What are we doing? Are we doing something about it or are we locking ourselves up in our house because we want to get dirty? It's time for revival in our country. It's time for revival in our church, but it can't happen until we wake up. Let's turn to Romans chapter 13, verse 11 through 14. This is all the more urgent. For you to know how late it is, time is running out. Wake up for our salvation is nearer now than when we first believed. The night is almost gone. The day of salvation will soon be here. So remove your dark deeds like dirty clothes and put on the shining armor of right living. Because we belong to the day, we must live decent lives for all to see. Don't participate in the darkness of wild parties and drunkenness or in sexual promiscuity and immoral living or in quarreling and jealous Jealousy. Instead, clothe yourself with the presence of the Lord Jesus Christ and don't let yourself think about ways to indulge in evil desires. Wake up, wake up. This scripture continues to stay relevant. Our world today is full of the things that we mentioned here. It's full of drunkenness. It's full of sexual immorality. It's full of indulgence, right, in fleshy desires. You, we, we're guilty. When you want something, I wanted Chinese last night again. I had Chinese like three times this week, Chinese food. I'm not supposed to. Listen, right now I'm in my medium shirts. It's not going to last long. It's not going to last long. Listen to me. But my flesh wanted it. And we want to indulge it. We want to like, hey, give into it. I make a joke about the Chinese food, but our flesh desires some other things that really are very harmful, not only to us, but our spirit. And we give into it. We give into it. The world is full of discord. It's full of jealousy. Things that we don't need to be participating in. We need to clothe ourselves in the armor of light and with Jesus Christ himself. We need to wake up to the truth. We need to wake up our faith and trust in God. We need to wake up our commitment. We need to be committed. Putting God above all things. Lastly, we need to awaken our hearts, and that's what we're going to be talking about today. Awakening our hearts. Wake up. Awaken your heart. Listen, the heart, the heart is the life of our bodies, right? With the heart beats, and as it pumps, blood is beating, right? Pumping blood to the rest of our body. If it's not beating, then we're not living. What happens is, same thing spiritually. We need to awaken our hearts spiritually. If our hearts are dead, then we are spiritually dead. If our hearts spiritually are dead, then we are spiritually dead. We are. The heart is considered the seat of our emotions, the seat of understanding, the seat of our soul. We're living in times that people are losing heart, right? You see it all around you. People are losing heart in things. Ah, oh, I can't. Nah, you, when, when, when people used to be so excited for things, I know, I, and listen, standing from up here, I, I, I've seen the journeys of people, right? They get saved. Oh, my God, I love God. Oh, I want to do everything for God. Pastor, let me sign me up for this. Pastor, sign me up for this. Pastor, sign me up for this. I'm like, all right, slow down. Because all of a sudden, there's a burnout. All of a sudden, they don't, they don't have that same passion. All of a sudden, it's like they're losing heart. They lose heart. Now, there's factors that cause us to lose heart, but maybe we can cover that in the body series because those are diseases that affect your heart, which, don't, which, 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 affect, which give you a spiritual heart disease. But we'll talk about that in that series. Y'all, we're going to have to look. I, all the things, I have to make notes to make sure that we cover all those. They're losing heart, right? There's trials and tribulations that, that affect us so that we could, we could be discouraged, that we could be distracted, that we could uh, be disillusioned. Um, disillusion is, is rampant in the body of Christ. Like when you think you're okay and you're far from okay. And the only one that's going to tell you might be me. And then you get mad at me when I tell you. But I'm telling you because I love you. No one else might tell you that. 
Or they might be disillusioned too. Because sometimes disillusioned people like to hang around with other disillusioned people. Our daily life is filled with computers, cell phones, internet, distraction, Netflix, all, all the rest, right? They're not bad, but when it, when it outdoes the time that we're spending with the Lord, then there's, there's an imbalance. There's, there's, a, there's an improper uh, relationship there. God wants us to stop. He wants to let our heart catch up, with, with, uh, catch up from all that activity. And like the Bible study, he wants us to stay still for a moment and hear the whisper of God's voice. So this morning, how can we have a fully alive heart? How can we awaken our hearts? The first thing I want to say is we need to cleanse our heart. Sometimes our hearts need a spring cleaning and a summer cleaning and a fall cleaning and a winter cleaning and a Sunday cleaning and a Monday cleaning and a Tuesday cleaning. Sometimes our heart just, it needs that deep cleaning. It needs it. James in chapter 4, verse 8 says, Come close to God, and God will come close to you. Wash your hands, you sinners. Purify your hearts, for your loyalty is divided between God and the world. When we have unclean hearts, the word is telling us that we have a heart that is being divided by God and the world. And if you know the God that I serve, he's a jealous God. And he don't like sharing. He don't like sharing. And so we need to purify our heart. Cleansing, a purifying. And the thing is that, you know what? To get it done right, you have to call on the name of Jesus. Because only he can do it. Cleansing comes as we surrender our lives to God. Right? The, there was a movie called End of the Spear. Has anybody seen that movie, End of the Spear? Oh, my God. Y'all better go watch it. Nobody except you, us? That's it? Yo, okay, thank you, Minerva. Of course, it'll be the missionary back there who saw it. Listen, okay, so End of the Spear was a movie about uh, missionaries that went out to, South to, to, to preach the gospel to a tribe in South America, right? And what happened was, as they're there, uh, I think they were called the Wadoni people, Wadani people, Wadani people, right? Um, what happened was that while they were there, this tribe was savage. It was a savage tribe. They had not been uh, reached by civilization, but they wanted to preach the gospel. So then they, they went and they were killed. The tribe members killed them. They murdered them. And um, years later, the families of those slain missionaries went back to the same place, to the same tribe that killed their husbands. And they went back because they felt that God still wanted to reach them. So um, there was a reporter or something that asked one of the sons of the missionaries, says, have you seen, uh, have you had a history of recon reconciliation over the years? And he was like, well, it was more of a developing thing. And he tells a story that um, Minkiyi, I don't know, that's the name of the guy who killed Steve's father, right? The tribe member that killed his father. Um, he, he, had a he had a moment of reconciliation with Rachel, uh, which was one of the wives of the missionaries. In her journal, she, was, she wrote that she was sleeping in a hammock one night in the jungle, and she heard like someone in the bushes. And it turned out to be that same gentleman that killed one of the missionaries. He walked up to her and he said, I want to talk. And pretty much he said, um, your, the missionaries had told me something in the past. They said that your creator is very strong. They told me that he was very strong. And uh, she, he said, yes, he is very strong. He made everything, even this dirt. And she says, he's so strong, he made everything, even the dirt. And um, then the guy responds, and he goes, I heard something about that he can clean, he can make, he can clean my heart. And he says, but I've done many bad things. How can he clean my heart? My heart is very dark, very dirty. Can he clean even that? And she says, him being so strong, the creator, he can even clean your heart. Now, she writes that that morning he walked away, 
but came back later um, with some other people and said, I want to know if this is true. If this is true, I want God to clean my heart. And in that moment, he gave his life to God. Now, that, that's me summing up two hours of a movie. But what happens is there was a moment of cleansing in this tribe member's heart. He couldn't do it. Even Rachel couldn't do it. There was something that God did in his heart and cleansed him. Listen, if we see that God can change that tribe member's heart that was filled with anger, that was filled with, uh, with, with uh, rage, that when those missionaries came, all he, 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 just, he had to kill them, right? He, can change, he changed his heart. He, changed, he cleansed King David's heart after his sin. He, clen- he changed Saul into Paul. There was a heart change there, right? He changed millions of hearts over the years. And he can cleanse our hearts today. Many of us are sitting here with some dirty hearts. Dirty hearts. God will help us remove all the things that have gotten in the way, all the things that block our hearts, all the, that, that dirty water and the mud that surrounds your heart that we've let in. You know, when there's a crack in the door or a crack in the window, water can get in. Some of us have dirty hearts because there have been cracks in what should be a, a protective covering of God's uh, presence. But since it's not there, there's cracks. God will lead us to clear out the clutter that gets in the way in our relationship with him. But it takes a complete surrender. Do you guys know what complete surrender means? Complete complete surrender means that you want to go this way. God says this way. And you say, you know what? Even though this is what I want, I'm going to go this way. When 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 God is, is putting something in your heart like God, but I don't even know that person. God, I don't even know how to speak. God, I don't even know how to sing. I don't know how to teach. I don't, but, then, but if that's what God is saying, complete surrender is saying, well, if you're telling me to do it, I'm going to do it. Complete surrender is not paying attention to the darts of the enemy who puts these lies in your head and says, what do you mean? You're going to give your life to God? You know how bad you are? It's no point now. No point of doing it now. It's too late. Like we said last week, if, you are, if your heart is still beating, it's not too late. It is not too late. Second thing to clean our hearts, right? What happens is this. When we have an unsurrendered heart to God, there's a void in our hearts. A lot of us know that void. A lot of us know that void. And what happens is if we want to awaken our heart, we need to fill that void with the things of God. Many of us have felt that void. Some of us still do. That's a void that you go out, you have a great time, you do things that perhaps we shouldn't do, you go back home, you lay down in bed, you look up at the ceiling and you're like, tonight was so much fun, but why do I feel so empty? I had such a great time, but why I feel so miserable? Why? Or for some people, you fill your lives with so much busyness, so much business. Let me know. Let me let me let me do this, and let me do that, and let me do this, and let me do that. And the second you stop the pause, you're like, "There's nothing going on in my life. There's something missing. There's something missing. That missing feeling is a void that only God can fill. And sometimes, many times, the only way we can fill that void is changing our lives." We have to change, do a life change. We need to align our attitude with the attitude, right, um, of Christ, with the mind of Christ. It means a little less, a little, uh, a little less about self, and more about others. Do you know? Do you understand that? We are we are a selfish people. We are a selfish people, naturally by birth, right, babies. We're going to do a baby dedication right after this. And the thing is this, babies is all about them. We are born in this world about me. Give me, give me. I want, I want, my way, my way. Abigail thinks she runs this my house. I don't know. She thinks, she does. She thinks that somebody made her the boss. Even when you ask her who's the boss, she'll be like, daddy's the boss. And then mommy's the second boss and I'm the third boss. There are no three bosses in this house. You are not a boss. Get a job, pay some bills, and you can be the boss of your bedroom. That's it. 
Paul said in Philippians chapter 2, verse 1 to 7, says, if there's any encouragement from belonging to Christ, any comfort from his love, any fellowship together in the spirit, are your hearts tender and compassionate? Then make me truly happy by agreeing wholeheartedly with each other, loving one another, and working together with one mind and purpose. Don't be selfish. Don't try to impress others. That's funny. That's kind of like the world that we live in right now, right? Everybody's always trying to impress others. Yo, check, check my gram out. Check me on the gram. <laughs> Be humble. Yeah, that doesn't work. Listen, I'm not against selfies, right? I'm not. But how many selfies is too much? Is there a selfie limit? Three per day, three per week, like three per month. Like we should, you know what? One day we'll have a selfie conversation, right? Whoever wants to stay at the church and hang out, we'll, have, we'll talk about how many selfies is enough before we, we cross the boundary of humbleness, like from humble to no longer humble. Because what a selfie is, is look at me. Sometimes you look good. You want to show the world. It's okay. Show the world. God made you looking good. Show them. But again, do I need to see it 25 times in one day? I don't know. That's just, I don't know. I don't know. Don't look out for your own interests. Oh, it says, be humble, thinking of others. Be humble, thinking of others as better than yourselves. Oh, that's different. That's different to look around saying, you're better than me. How many of y'all do that? Mm? Don't raise your hand. Don't raise your hand. Don't look out for your own interests, but take an interest in others too. You must have the same attitude that Christ Jesus had. Though he was God, he did not think of equally with God as something to cling on. He could have walked around saying, do you know who I am? And he didn't do that. Instead, he gave up his divine privilege. He took the humble position of a slave and was born as a human being. The mind of Christ is to put others first. How many of us are doing that? How many of us are doing If we're going to fill the void in our heart, if we're going to awaken our heart, we have to fill it with things of Christ, with the things of God. Some of the things of God include putting people first, others first, putting the need, their needs before your needs. The mind of Christ is putting ahead the, uh, the desires of others before my own desires. The mind of Christ is about humility. Humility. How do we see the world today? When you look out of the world, how do you see it? Do you look out the window and be like, I am, that is not me. I'm way above them. I'm a whole nother level. I'm, I mean, are we looking at the world? Are we looking down at the world? Thinking that we're better than them? Are we looking at the world through a lens, a lens of our own life history, our own experiences, our own, uh, view, our own views? You know, when you look at the world through your own views, right, it's affected and tainted by your experiences. That's what, that's what this means. So, for example, Sasha, if let's say, um, let's see me pick somebody. Okay. Um, sweetie has like a, a pink sweater. If sweetie does you dirty today, somehow, she's mean to you, you know, whatever, all of a sudden, like that, that imprinted your mind, your situation that happened today. Now, when you look at the world through your, vet, through your lens, right, and you encounter a person with the same sweater that she has, guess what happens? PTSD. <laughs> and you go back to the moment, you go back to the moment of what just happened, and then that person who's wearing that sweater, let's say now it's Oneida, sweet little Oneida's wearing that sweater, and she's like, hey, Sasha, get away from me. I want to talk to you, Oneida. And Oneida's like, oh, my goodness. Oh, and Oneida, she says she's going to rebuke you. But the thing is this, Oneida's like, I didn't do anything. She didn't do anything. But what happened was your experiences, your trauma, your, your history is now making you look through a lens of your own. And now everything is tainted by what you've experienced. You're not looking through the lens of God's, uh, like through God's eyes. You're looking through your own. 
how is it easy to love someone with pink sweaters when you're looking through your own lenses? But God doesn't see someone that hurts you with a pink sweater. He sees a soul that needs to be loved. He sees a soul that needs to be embraced. Someone that's going through something, a brother or sister that needs another brother or sister by his side. How are we looking at the world? Through the eyes of the world or through the lenses of God? How did Jesus see the world? He saw the world as needing a savior. We can see when he came in, like he would, he, he would go to the people that the Pharisees would not go to. He would embrace the people that were not embraced. He would talk to people that people did not want to talk to. First of all, we already know with, the, with leprosy, like him even having that conversation with the lepers, right? No Jew in their right mind would do that. But he didn't see them as people that were contagious. He saw them as people that needed to be healed. He saw the world as it really was, imperfect because of sin. He saw the world ready to accept the love that only God could give. He came and he saw the world that was like a harvest ready, like a ripe harvest ready, to, a ripe crop ready to be harvested. Some, some people think that way. They open those doors and like, look at all these souls that can come to Christ. Look at all these people that need Jesus. Look at these people that need to be loved. That, that, that's a different way of looking at it. And I think many of us need to be more intentional of living that way. What happens is when we begin to fill our lives and our hearts and our mind with the things of God, we begin to focus, Right? On Jesus, we focus on his life, we focus on his ways. And as we focus on Jesus and his life and his ways, then we find ourselves, right? We find ourselves um, beginning to live as Jesus. You know, remember back in the day, the, what would Jesus do, right? When we think about Jesus, then we begin to live like Jesus. Before you know it, we find ourselves experiencing the full power of God's love, because our hearts will be in tune with his. When we stop and fill our minds with the minds of Christ, when we fill our hearts with the heart of Jesus, we begin to see the world the way Jesus sees the world. The third thing I want to mention is that when we awaken our hearts, it leads us to God's love, to be God's love to the world around us, though through the power of God's love. When we awaken our hearts, we can love the world through the power of God. What does this mean? What does this mean? It means when our heart awakens, it gives us something called compassion. Look at your neighbor and say, are you compassionate? Are you compassionate? <laughs> compassion is what motivates people to, stay, to, to go out of their way. Compassion, right, it, it makes you go out of your way to help someone with something. Meaning, meaning, meaning you had to put your life on pause, maybe be late for a couple moments, maybe something is sacrificed in your life, maybe you don't get to do what you wanted to do, but you go out of your way because you saw a need and you were filled with compassion, and at that moment, what mattered most was to embrace that person. Compassion. Compassion is having a sensitivity to the suffering of others. Let me tell you that we can all fall victim to not having compassion because our world is so crazy. People in ministry can lack compassion because I'm focused. There's a couple of you guys that have told me in the past, like, um, Pastor, did you just hear what I said? I'm like, oh, my bad. How do you feel? Why do you feel that way? Because I, I was going at 100 miles an hour, right? The other, uh, this past week, my wife comes home, and I was doing something. Oh, no, no. We were on the phone. She was driving home, and I was trying to get Abigail situated. I had just walked in the door. Um, I'm talking to her, and I'm 
think I'm getting situated and everything like that, trying to get Abigail to get her started on her homework. And Camille's telling me the day that she had. And I'm, I'm, this is me multitasking, right? And she's telling me the day that she had, but she's telling me something that was really serious. Like two young ladies that she has in her classroom that experienced like horrible abuse, horrible sexual abuse. I mean, it was just, it was, it was nauseating. But at that moment, I was just like, yeah, uh-huh, uh-huh, uh-huh. And she's like, that's what's wrong with the church. Where's the compassion right now? For what I just, I mean, how does that not break your heart? And I had to stop for a moment. I said, no, it, 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 is, it is. And I had to realize that my, my agenda, my, my, my to-do list got in the way of my compassion. And that happened three days ago, four days ago, to me. And what happens is this. If we are not careful, if we are not aware, then guess what? We won't show compassion. We will, we will be so preoccupied with our lives, with what we want, how we want to do it, and everything that we have to do in the little time that we have, I don't got time to be worrying about nobody else. Is that affecting my life? No. Okay, then I don't care about it. That's how we think. And that's wrong. That's wrong. That's wrong. Just because it doesn't affect your life doesn't mean that you shouldn't care about it. Because that's what separates us from the unbelievers. That's what separates us from the world. When people say, why do you even care about that person? Nothing to do with you. Because God loved me. And he filled me with his love so that I can love others. And that I could be there for others. And that I can be the hands and feet of Jesus in their lives right now for whatever situation they're going through. When you look at the life of Jesus, we see the perfect example of compassion. So guess what? To make a point and drive it home. Luke 7, 13, Jesus, right, and his disciples enter a town called um, Nain. Uh, Nain. And in that, in that day, there was a, a funeral going on for a, widow's, a, a widow's son. And he tells her this. He says this, when the Lord saw her, his heart overflowed with compassion. Don't cry, he said. Tell me that you're busier than Jesus. Tell me you're busier than Jesus. Go ahead. Y'all preaching to thousands? Y'all feeding thousands? You performing miracles every day? I mean, the, the, the reality is that, no, that we're, none of us are as busy as Jesus was. But he was filled with compassion that he stopped what he was doing. He went to that widow and he says, don't cry. <laughs> and then he does another miracle. Matthew 9, 36 When he saw the crowds, he had compassion on them because they were confused and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. Matthew 14, 13 to 14, right before he feeds 5,000 people, right? As soon as Jesus heard the news, he left in a boat to a remote area to be alone. But the crowds heard where he was headed and followed him on foot from many towns. Jesus saw the huge crowd as he stepped from the boat and he had compassion on them and healed their sick. Before feeding the 4,000, Matthew 15, 32. Now Jesus called his disciples to himself and said, I have compassion on the multitude because they have now continued with me three days and have nothing to eat. And I do not want to send them away hungry lest they faint on the way. Jesus comes to a town in Jericho, and in there he comes across two blind people, two blind men who call upon him for healing. Matthew 20, 34 says, so Jesus had compassion, and he touched their eyes, and immediately their eyes received sight, and they followed him. Stories after stories after stories of the compassion of Jesus. He came with a mission. He had an assignment. He had things to do. He had places to be, right? He had people to talk to. He had miracles to perform. He had, th- he, he had an agenda that was full, but it never stopped him from stopping and showing compassion. 
We need to live lives that no matter what is going on in our lives, we can stop and show compassion. Where, where, where it shakes people, like, why you being, why, why you care about what I'm going through? Like, when someone asks you, why do you care what I'm going through, and they seem shocked, you know you're on the right path. Because the world is not used to that. The world is not used to that, and when it happens, it sticks out. And that is the perfect opportunity to witness to them about the power, the, 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 the powerful God that we serve, the life-changing God that we serve, and salvation found in Jesus Christ. These are just a few stories of the compassion Jesus had. In these situations, um, his compassion motivated him to act. Listen to me. Compassion should be a motivating factor to action. Right? A motivating factor to action. We begin to see the world through his eyes. We have his heart. We will, see, we will see the world with compassion as well. Compassion motivates um, uh, action, right? And then that creates a difference. It creates a difference. It awakens concern in our life. It awakens concern. Concern is marked usually by relationships, right? When you're concerned about something, it's because you care about that thing, right? If, if you wake up, right, and, and your wife isn't feeling well, you're concerned because you care about her. You're concerned because that's your wife. You're concerned because, wait a minute, I, I want to make sure you're okay. Concern is because there's a, there's, there, there's a relating to something or someone. Concern is an expression of apathy. Concern is putting um, the other person before yourself. She's sick. You know what? You know what? I'm going to take some time and make her some soup. I'm going to do this, blah, blah, blah. And, and because you're concerned, there's actions that happen through your concern. Concern is putting the needs of others ahead of your own. Concern actually begins to, to turn into ministry. A concern becomes ministry. Someone once said that ministry is giving when you feel like keeping, praying for others when you need to be prayed for, feeding others when your own soul is hungry, living truth before people even when you can't see the results, hurting with other people even when your own hurt can't be spoken, keeping your word even when it's not convenient. It is being faithful when your flesh wants to run away. That is what ministry is. When our concern is awakened, it awakens care. And we begin to, take, to provide for the needs of those that are around us. Not just feel sorry for them, but actually care for them. The early church understood this completely, and they lived care faithfully. Acts 2, 43, 47 says, A deep sense of awe came over them. And all the apostles performed miracles, signs, and wonders. And all the believers met together in one place, shared everything they had. They sold their property and possessions and shared the money with those in need. They worshiped together in the temple each day. They met in homes for the Lord's Supper and shared meals with great joy and generosity. All the while praising God and enjoying the goodwill of all the people. And each day the Lord added to their fellowship those who were being saved. Sometimes we're like, how does, how does our church grow? How do we, and there's all sorts of systems and things like that that I, I get it. Systematically, systematically they work. But are, you, are they just filling seats with, with numbers or are people actually growing in their walk with God? The church, the early church understood that they took, the, they, that they took care of one another. When somebody needed, no, no one lacked in the early church. They all took care of each other. They called it caring for each other physically, monetarily, emotionally. Some people call it one anothering, one anothering, right? The scripture is full of one anothering. And really quick, um, John 3, uh, 13, 34 talks about loving one another, right? Romans 12, 10 says, be devoted to one another, 12, uh, and also it says honor one another, be devoted to one another, um, build up one another in Romans 14. How does this translate to our lives? What does this look like? Here at Lighthouse, one thing that 
Lighthouse does, and I know that many of you have been already recipients of it, is like, let's say you were in the hospital and you can't cook for your family, right? Something that this church has done for many years, even before, before the merge, before everything, for, for maybe more than 10 years, forever. One thing that this church has done like forever is, is take care of the family, right? We're going we're gonna to take care of one another's family because there's a need. If, if, the, if, the, if somebody's in the hospital and they can't feed their family, then we come together and everybody takes a turn cooking or ordering food and we deliver it to them. Someone is sick. Someone has a baby. We, we, we all get together and we feed the family. During COVID, those that really got COVID really bad and affected the whole household, we got together and we fed them. We took care of them. What it looks like is encouraging one another when someone is down. That's what it looks like. One anothering, one anothering, I'm not doing too good. You know what? Encourage your brother. Encourage your sister. Take a moment out of your busy lives to sit and chat with someone that's going through something that's lonely. Our lives today needs to be aware of opportunities for one anothering. Like, look, like God, where, today, give me an opportunity to do something for another. It's part of our prayer. Our hearts must be alive. It must be alive. In conclusion, in conclusion, this morning we need, we need revival in our lands, in our land. We need a great awakening in the church. Lighthouse, we need to be a beacon of light in a dark world, right? Especially, especially if we say that we, we, we're part of Lighthouse Family Center. A lighthouse shines, right? Does it not? And if we are part of the lighthouse family, then we are all little beacons of light that wherever we go, we should be shining light wherever we go. If you find yourself not shining light, your bulb may have blown out. And you know what? It's okay because we have a charging station right here at the, at the altar where you can light that bulb right back up. We gotta live by the truth, church, for real. We, we gotta live by the truth, and the truth is Jesus. I mean, there's nothing else. There's nothing else that's truth, it's Jesus, right? We gotta live by faith. We gotta be committed to him, and we need to awaken our, our hearts today. Today, <clears throat> we see the example that Jesus left for us, and we have to follow this example that Jesus left for us. Jesus loved us unconditionally. Now, I know it's hard for us to love unconditionally because we're not Jesus, but it should be a, a goal. Jesus loves us no matter what we look like, no matter where we came from, no matter how we talk, no matter how we dress. And because Jesus loved us in that way, we should love others the same way. Like, you should love people no matter what they look like no matter what they're wearing, no matter what they sound like, no matter where they came from. You know what is the most, and I'm gonna share more, I'm gonna share more of this in our, in our meeting, our church meeting next month. But you know what the most beautiful goal is? A church that represents every culture, a church that represents every social class, a church that represents all ways of life, right? coming together as brothers and sisters because guess what we can grow loving one another despite all the differences that we have and showing the world what a family in Christ looks like it's easy it's easy to build a church of all the same people it's easy it's harder it's harder to, to say, let, we, we want everything represented here because heaven is not going to be divided into sections. You're not going to have uh, the different culture sections, right? You're not going to have the white area, the black area, the Latino area. You're not going to have a young adult area. You're not going to have teenager area. Now, we have ministries to develop us, you know, and within those ministries but our church 
our Sunday service, the most beautiful sight is to look out and see all races, all ages, all social classes gathered together for one purpose, to worship and praise our Lord. Our awakened hearts drive us to action. I want you to ask yourself, what are you doing? Like, like seriously, what are you doing? Well, pastor, I got a job and I go to school and I, that's all I'm asking. Because your heart is awake, what are you doing for the kingdom? What are you doing? If you are a follower of Christ, what are you doing? If you call yourself a disciple of Christ, what are you doing? Because coming here on Sundays and sitting down and listening to me is not doing anything. Honestly. I mean, it's part of our, it's part of our uh, walk together. But you, I mean, you're keeping the seat warm. That's good. What are you doing for the kingdom of God? What are you doing in your families? What are you doing in your circles? What are you doing in your job? What are you doing in your communities? How are you using the gifts and the talents that God gave you for the edification of the church? How? How? You know what it is to find out that people do things? I'm like, wait, what? You do this? How come I didn't know about this? There are so many of you keeping all your little secrets. I'm never going to tell pastor that I sing because they're going to make me sing one day. That was Jocelyn and Veronica a year and a half ago at a young adult's party. Wait, you guys sing? Erica, I just found something out. What are you doing for the kingdom of God? I say it seriously because if you aren't doing anything and you are saying that you are a Christian and that you are a follower of Christ and you are doing nothing, then be ashamed. But don't stay there. Do something about it. Do something about it. James 2, 15 and 16 says, suppose you see a brother or sister who has no food, no clothing, and you say goodbye and have a good day. Stay warm and eat well, but then you don't give that person any food or clothing. What good does that do? It is of no good. So listen, I know that People get this zeal all of a sudden, right? They get this zeal. Hey, pastor, let's go and um, let's just go pray for people in Kensington real quick. There's nothing wrong with the zeal, right? But it's not just praying for someone in Kensington. Because then you're setting yourself up for, for an incomplete encounter, right? It's not just showing up and says, oh, let me pray for you. Father, help them, help their addiction, save them. Do you want to accept Christ? Do you want to accept Christ? Okay, amen. Woo! Another one's a number, and we walk away. No, 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 no. It's coming by this person. Here, eat this real quick. Sit down with them. Hey, tell me your life. Let me hear your story. How, how did you end up here? And as they're speaking, say, you know what? I know it may seem impossible, but the God that I serve can save you right now. I know, it, I know it's far from your mind. I know that it doesn't seem like it could, but he can save you right now if you're willing. So you go prepared with something to give them to eat. You go prepared with time to sit and hear their stories. And you go prepared with resources like we did one time when I told um, I asked Jose to give me a list of all the, like, the, the, the rehab centers, the, the shelters, all those programs. Have the list with you and ready. And have drivers ready at that moment to say, wait, you want to go right now to rehab? Yo, um, Lenny, 
take, take him to this one, this one, this one, and then gets in the car and they, and they go. Are you prepared for that? Are you prepared to do a full, complete outreach from beginning to end? I don't want to go and do things halfway. I don't want to go and show up and just be like, hey, Jesus loves you, but not, not, not offer them the hope or the, uh, the help that they need. Not put them and steer them in the right direction. Church, stand with me this morning. If you want to change, if we want to change our church, our communities, this world, we need to start with changing ourselves into the likeness of Jesus, to have the mind of Jesus, to have the heart of Jesus. And it begins with surrendering our will and our hearts to him. Listen, one thing I know is that there is so much, there's so much sin in this world that has caused many of our hearts to harden up. There are so many situations that we've gone through in church, outside of church, at work, in community, that, that has, we, we, we build our natural defense up. <laughs> we have a natural defense that goes up because we don't want to be hurt again. We don't want we don't, we don't to be felt like we don't want to feel like we've been taken advantage of again. We, we opened ourselves up and they took advantage of that and now I feel violated. We don't want to feel that anymore. And so we close up. We close up and then God sends people to your side, to your world, and you can't love them the way that God calls us to love them because you've closed your heart up. I know this well. I know this well because when you serve in ministry, guess what? I'm not, I'm not immune to getting hurt. I have feelings just like you guys. I have a heart just like you guys. And when I get hurt, I, I, I got to say, God, heal this pain so that I can continue to love people. Heal this pain so I can continue to preach your word. Heal this pain so I can continue to embrace everyone and not treat people as a result of the pain that I encounter. Some of us, we keeping everybody to one arm's distance or like COVID, six feet, right? We want everybody away because of what we went through. But what God wants, he wants to tear down those walls. He wants to set you free so that you can love the way he's called us to love so that we can make a difference so that you can wake up and be used in the manner that God wants to use you.